0: All right, church, well, i invite you to go ahead, open up your Bibles to the book of Romans. Yeah, we started into this uh, glorious book last week, but didn't take the time last week to even start talking about what we are calling our sermon series, besides, obviously, the book of Romans or Paul's letter to the Romans. Uh, and we'll be calling this sermon series, A Righteousness Revealed righteousness revealed, as we will see that word and that theme of righteousness spoken of frequently throughout this book. And so this morning, as we start things off, we need need to attempt to start to understand what this word righteousness means. Uh, Very simply put, this word righteousness, it, it means to have a good or right standing before someone. Typically before a judge, it's a, it's a positional word often used in a legal context. It's getting at where someone stands, oftentimes in legal terms. To be righteous, therefore, is to be in a right standing with God very simply put, because I like to keep things simple so that I can remember them, but uh, when I think of righteousness, I think of a rightness with God, to have a right standing with God. Now, in our passage this morning, we're going to see that Paul speaks of the righteousness of God, like we see in verse 17 of Romans 1. And when Paul speaks of the righteousness of God, he can be referring to God's righteous character, All right, how God is perfectly right all the time. You can never say that God did the wrong thing. That would never be an accurate statement. Right? He is perfectly good. He is perfectly holy. He is perfectly pure. He is always right. And this is certainly true of our God to say that he is righteous. He is righteous in his timing. He is righteous in his ways. He is is right in these things. But when Paul uses the phrase, the righteousness of God, especially in verse 17, he's not only getting at who God is, which he is righteous, but he's also getting at what God has done in accomplishing salvation for unrighteous people. And starting next week, continuing into Romans chapter 3, Paul's going to make it very clear that no one is righteous but God. Because of sin, we have been unable to obtain a right standing with God on our own. Therefore, through faith, we must receive God's righteousness. Martin Luther called this an an alien righteousness. Right? In order to be saved, we must receive a righteousness or a rightness with God that is from God and it is received through faith. And it is this righteousness that, re- that we receive that now speaks to who we are at our very core because it speaks to where we stand with God. It's this righteousness that is revealed and is received that now teaches us and helps us see our true identity, where we stand before God. And this is why the gospel is so glorious and why it is so powerful. It is because the righteousness of God is revealed. And how he has provided for us a way to be right with him. It has been revealed. And so Righteousness Revealed is going to be the overarching theme and title of this series, but then we're going to break it down even further into sort of four kind of mini-series within Romans. And so uh, chapters 1 through 5, we're going to call Righteousness Over Us. Chapters 6 through 8, we'll call Righteousness In Us. 9 through 11, Righteousness Out to All People. And 12 through 16, Righteousness throughout all of life. And we'll understand those a little bit more as we go through this book. And this was how one of my professors, Dr. Ortland, had outlined the book. You could certainly outline it in a much more detailed way, but I like simple outlines because they'll stick with us even when we've moved on past the book of Romans. So the overarching theme here is righteousness revealed. For it is the righteousness of God that is revealed to us in the gospel. And it is this gospel that Paul is unashamed of. What does Paul say in verse 16? Look at verse 16 in your Bibles. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now, I don't know about you, but I used to think of this verse as simply meaning, like, I'm not embarrassed to share the gospel with someone. Um, I used to think that this mainly was just kind of simply saying, I'm not embarrassed to call myself a Christian, to publicly identify myself with with Christ. Now listen, it certainly is saying that, but it is saying so much more than that as well. You see, there is power in the gospel to, yes, free us from being embarrassed or ashamed of being a Christian— But really the gospel is the power to free us and heal us from all our shame. From all our shame. The gospel is the power of God to free us and heal us from all our shame. You see, what sin has done in our lives, it's, it's left this, this sense of shame. And this shame is this underlying guilt and, and wrong feeling we have about who we are and where we stand with God. And because of that shame, that shame then causes us to live in fear that people are going to find out who we really are underneath all this. And we're afraid, we're afraid that if they find out who we really are, that they will reject us, that they won't love us. Shame causes us to believe that the more people get to know us, the less they'll actually love us. And so what we do because of shame is we hide. We hide ourselves. Isn't this what Adam and Eve... First did when they sinned against God, they were ashamed and they hid This is what we do We run and we hide because of shame And so this morning, what we're going to see, where we're going in this this text Is we're going to see how being unashamed of the gospel Will actually free us and heal us from the shame That would cause us to go run and hide from one another It will free us and heal us from the shame and embarrassment that causes us to go hide and run away from our neighbors. And being unashamed of the gospel will actually free us and heal us from the shame that causes us to hide from God. We hide from one another. We hide from our neighbors. We hide from God. But the gospel is the power that can free us and heal us of our shame this morning. So let's pray, let's ask the Lord to do a a great work. Father God, we do thank you for your word, and we thank you for this good news. Lord, we ask that we would taste and see just how good you are this morning. Father, I ask that you would protect our hearts and minds right now, Lord, that that you would guard against the enemy trying to snatch away this word from our, from our hearts and minds this morning, Lord. I ask that this word would take deep root in our heart, that it would bear fruit. Holy Spirit, would you move and work? Would you guide this time? Convict and comfort as you see fit. And help me speak only what is true. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, Romans 1, verse 8. Paul says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Now, you'll remember from last week that Paul did not plant the church in Rome. In fact, he has not yet been to Rome. But here we see that the faith of the Roman Christians has spread across the known world. And Paul has heard this, and Paul was thankful to God for their faith, and he's now lifting them up in his prayers. But not only that, he also longs to see them. He wants to be with them. Why? Why? Well, one, one reason we'll find out later in Romans is he does desire for, for Rome to be a sending base for his, his mission to Spain. But he tells us another reason here as to why he longs to be with them. He says it in verse 11. He says, For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Right? He He longs to be with them so that he might strengthen them. But then quickly in verse 12, he clarifies this. He clarifies this statement because he knows that it's not just him who has something to offer here. No, he clarifies in verse 12, and he says, That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. You see, it is not just the apostles that had something to offer for the building up of the church. No, he says and admits that he needs encouragement as well. He, he longs to come to Rome, yes, so his faith might encourage them, but also so that their faith might encourage him. You see, Paul could have remained this impressive apostle from a distance, right? Who just kind of lobs these letters and throws out his authority to the the, the, uh, Christians in Rome. And he could have remained kind of just separated from them and and remained this kind of impressive apostolic figure. But because Paul is unashamed of the gospel, he wants to see them in person. He wants them to see him, and he wants him to see them and, and both, right? He wants them to be, he, he wants to know them, and he wants to be known by them. And he wants them to know that he needs to be strengthened by their faith as well. And the same is absolutely needed here, church. Like we need each other's faith to strengthen one another, right? You need pastors, and your pastors need you. You need the person sitting next to you, and the person sitting next to you needs you. Everyone here has something to offer, whether great or small. But the question is, do you look to these gathering of believers, whether it's a Sunday morning or a city group gathering or some other time, do you long in those gatherings? Do you long to bring something that will encourage someone else? Like, do you long to come to these gatherings that you might strengthen someone else's faith? There is a, there's a beautiful truth found in the Proverbs where God shows us how life in His world normally works. And He says in Proverbs 11, verse 24, He says, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. Come ready to water, and you yourself will be watered. But unfortunately, there are some Christians who are holding out on their church, right? They, they withhold what they know they should give, and in the end, they are the ones who are missing out. But the people who come to gatherings, ready to water others, ready to encourage them, ready to use their gifts and to edify the body, those are the ones that are being strengthened by this church. Those are the ones that are being strengthened by these gatherings. Those are the ones who here are being refreshed. And so let me encourage you, church, come ready to water, and you yourself will be watered. If you primarily are asking when you come to gatherings, who is going to encourage me today instead of who can I encourage today, you will miss out on the mutual encouragement that is supposed to be happening when believers come together. Come ready to water. But here's another big piece of the puzzle if we want to be mutually encouraged in our gatherings. In order for believers to be able to both give and receive, we will have to stop hiding from one another. And in order to stop hiding from one another, we have to not be ashamed of the gospel. Because those, it is those who are not ashamed of the gospel that are free to care more about being known than they care about appearing impressive. And so I have to ask this morning, do you want to appear impressive or do you want to be known here? I'm, I'm not sure you can have both. I'm not sure you can, at least in the way the world would define impressive. I'm not sure you can have both. Do you want to be impressive here, or do you want to be known here? Because you see, in order for us to remain impressive, we will have to keep a distance from one another. We will have to hide things from one another to appear impressive to one another. But church, the gospel is the power that can free us and heal us from our instinct to hide and our desire to appear impressive. And many of you, you've experienced this, whether you realize it or not. right? You've experienced the power when believers stop hiding from one another all right? It's probably happened. Maybe you're with a group of believers. You're starting to share some prayer requests. People are praying for illnesses, which is fine. We should pray for illnesses, but something happens when someone really gets real in the group, right? And they share something that they've either been hiding or that has not been visible to the group, and when that happens, there's a, there's a power that happens, right? Right? People start saying, oh, I I struggle with that too. There's an aspect of my heart I've been hiding. Here's what you don't see. Here's what's under the surface. And all of a sudden, you can almost tangibly feel the faith of one another charging up one another and encouraging one another and strengthening one another. You see, church, it is not one another's impressiveness that strengthens us. (laughs) It is our faith. In the gospel that strengthens one another. And it is a gospel that says, We are in our own strength, are not impressive, but God is. We in our own strength are not impressive, but God is. And therefore, as we are not ashamed of the gospel, we will stop hiding from one another, we will stop trying to appear impressive to one another. And we will actually be known by one another. And as a result of being known, we will be strengthened, we will be encouraged by seeing in each other how God has shown himself strong, even in weak people. That's the mutual encouragement that being unashamed of the gospel can produce in a church. But when we are living lives that are ashamed of the gospel, we hide from one another. <laughs> who else do we hide from? Think to yourself, who else do you hide from? You see, living ashamed of the gospel it not only causes us to hide from one another, it actually causes us to hide from our neighbors as well. Look with me back at Romans 1, verse 13. He says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented. All right, Paul had a really good desire here to get to Rome, but he had to trust in God's timing and God's ways, because for whatever reason, God had prevented this good thing from happening for a time. He had to trust God's timing. He also had to trust God's ways, because you know what? Paul is going to eventually get to Rome, and it's going to be in chains. Probably not the way he would have chosen to go to Rome. But he's got to trust God's timing. He's got to trust God's ways. Paul wants to get to Rome so that they'll be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. But why else does Paul want to get to Rome? Look at verse 13. In order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the the rest of the Gentiles, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. You see, he's not just interested in strengthening fellow believers. That is a certain uh, big concern of his. But he also wants to see some sort of harvest brought in. Meaning he wants unbelievers to come to know Christ. Right, and, and Paul feels this so strongly that he describes it as a sense of obligation. It's a sense of in, that he's in debt to the, the unbelievers in Rome. In fact, some English translations use that word debt instead of the word obligation that we see in the ESV. Paul is saying, I am a debtor to all the people in Rome. He's a debtor doesn't necessarily feel great to be in debt, does it? Most of us have this, this eagerness to pay the debt off. Now, it's important to understand this. There's a couple different ways of getting into debt, probably, probably lots of ways to get into debt, I guess. But one of the ways you get into debt is you borrow money from someone, and then you are in debt to them until you pay it back. All right, that's not the kind of debt that Paul is thinking of here. The other way you get into debt is like when grandparents give me money to spend on or give to the the boys. And once I receive that money from the grandparents, I am now obligated or in debt to my boys until that money is shared with them. That's the kind of debt or obligation that Paul is referring to here. And it's the same debt or obligation that we have to our neighbors. We've received this glorious gospel message that is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, for in it the rightness of God and how to be right with God has been revealed, and we are obligated, and we are debtors to those around us until we share this news and our lives with them, church. But because of our shame and because of our fear, we hide from our neighbors, don't we? We hide to maybe protect ourselves physically, right? I mean, can we really trust these people that live around us? We hide to protect ourselves intellectually. I mean, maybe they're really smart and we don't want to appear dumb to them for believing that Jesus rose from the dead. I mean, what if they think we're, we're dumb? We hide to protect ourselves emotionally. I mean, what if they end up not liking us? What if they end up not loving us? What if they don't want to be friends with us? We hide to protect our own impressiveness. Because maybe we do at some point even get to share the gospel and our faith with them, right? Maybe some of us will even have the courage to call them to repentance and faith. But it takes even more courage to not only call them to repentance and faith, but to share with them how you have repented and believed. Do we have the courage to share with our neighbors how God has specifically saved us? It's really easy to talk about sin in general. It gets more difficult to actually share specifics. No, this is what God has saved me from. This is what God has forgiven me of. This is what God died to pay the penalty for me. This is how I'm turning from this. This is how I'm trusting the Lord. This is what needs to be shared with those around us. We cannot hide this. There was an old bishop back in the 5th century who likened the gospel to a hot pepper. I don't know if you've ever heard that comparison before. He says, A pepper outwardly seems to be cold, but the person who crunches it between the teeth experiences the sensation of fire. (laughs) You can't be just content to lob peppers over the fence at people's heads. You have to bite into it yourself. You have to chew on it, and then you have to share what it tastes like. We give these very cold gospel presentations because we haven't chewed on it and felt the heat ourselves. I know it can be intimidating, it's easier to hide, but let me tell you, it can just be as simple as sharing with someone what life in Christ tastes like. It tastes good. We have no problem sharing with one another the good restaurants we go to and the good foods we like. Listen, the gospel, it tastes so good. It is so sweet and refreshing. Chew on it yourself and share what it tastes like. Church, the gospel is not a message that says we are impressive Christians. You should come be like us. It is a message that says, none were right with God, including us. But God is so gloriously impressive that he loved us and saved us and calls us to receive his undeserved love so that we can love like him. Church, be unashamed of the gospel and stop hiding from your neighbors. In our shame, we hide from one another. We hide from our neighbors. But we also, and this is probably the saddest and the silliest, we hide from God. And there's no reason to hide from God. There's no reason to hide. And we come now upon maybe the two most powerful verses in all of God's word, at the very least two central verses to this letter to the Romans. We arrive at verse 16. No embarrassment about the good news that he is eager to share. But you see, it's hard for us to share, especially if we are holding on to our impressiveness. Because we know that if we share it with someone else who's holding on to their impressiveness, the gospel can certainly sound offensive at first, can't it? I mean, yes, the gospel is the good news that God saves sinners and this salvation was accomplished through the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. And so ultimately it is good news, but it is offensive news to our impressiveness, right? Because it tells us that we in our sin were in such a bad standing with God that we needed the Son of God to come and die for us to make things right. I mean, that's bad. It wasn't like we just needed God to come guide us a little bit. Like, we're just veering off course a little bit as humanity. Just needed him to a little, little course correction, little life coaching, get us back on track. It wasn't like we were in pretty good health. We just needed a little, little supplement of Jesus to kind of get us to that optimum health. No, the gospel... Humbles us by showing us our unrighteousness, showing us that it was so bad that we required God himself to come live for us, die for us, be raised for us, and now reign over us. We needed a righteousness outside of us, and that was over us, to come now dwell inside of us. And that is, that is humbling. But it is in that gospel humbling where we find gospel healing for our shame that sin has caused. You see, some of us have not yet been humbled enough to really experience the gospel healing for our shame. Some of us have not been humbled enough to ask for help for our shame because we think we can still cover it ourselves. And so there are some of us who try to cover our own shame, not by asking for help, but by being the helper. You see, there are those who don't just like to help others, they have to help others, all right? And listen, it's good to help others. I'm not against, this is not an anti-helping others sermon, all right? But there are those who not just only like to help others, they have to help others because it's how they make themselves feel right with God their identity and their whole kind of idea of their right standing is wrapped up in helping others. And so they like to be the ones to bring the word of encouragement that strengthens others. They, They have no problem with that. But they struggle being the ones receiving love, asking for help, accepting the healing that only God provides. They have wrapped their core identity around the fact that, no, I am, there. I am the one who helps others. But to live unashamed of the gospel would mean for them to be humbled enough to see that their core identity is not that they are helpers, it's that they are the ones who have been helped by God. And so for some of you, can the gospel message humble you enough where you can ask for help and you can receive help? Don't try to cover your own shame by identifying yourself as the helper. There are then others of us who try to cover our shame by our performance. Maybe it's our performance at work. You know, we tell ourselves, you know, I know I got this shame over here, but if I can be very successful, if I can have a successful business, if I can, if I can graduate first in my class, if I can get to the top, then things will be right. Or if, if, Or maybe if I can just be a successful spouse right? If I can just be a successful parent, right? If my, if my kids will be viewed as a success, then I will feel right about myself. If I can just be viewed as successful, then that will be enough to cover my shame. That will be enough to quiet the voice that tells me something is not quite right. Or maybe it's, maybe it's more religious performance, If I can just be a part of the right church, if I can just get educated the right way, if I can just get to all the right Bible classes and be a part of the right group of people, then I will feel like things are right. But sadly what we find is that our impressive, that our performance demands require that we remain impressive and so we hide our real selves from God and from one another and instead of the continual asking the Spirit to search our hearts and see if there be any way not of Him instead of, and, and then confessing that, moving on, repenting from it, no, instead we just build up this resume of successful achievements. And we trust that they will be what will cover up our shame and make us feel right with God. So, my question for those of you that would fall into that category is can the gospel humble you enough to stop performing for God and actually be known by God? You see, the gospel is powerful, church. And it's not just that it has power. Paul says that it it is the power of God. Back in ancient times, power was so closely associated with the Roman Empire, it would be so weird to use those words not together. When people heard the word power, they thought Rome. And Paul's saying, no, no, no. They've got some power, but the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. You see, our our shame tells us that the more we are known, right? The more that we are known by God and others, the less we will be loved. That's what our shame tells us. The gospel tells us, no, the one who knows us the best loves us the most. May I remind you of what Paul wrote in verse 7, Romans 1 verse 7. He says to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Who these, he's writing to people who he knows that are loved by God. They're loved by God. He calls them saints, set-apart ones, holy ones. He's going to go into chapter after chapter of saying no one is righteous. He, he knows this. But it's in the gospel, the righteousness of God has been revealed so that it can be received through faith, so that we can receive this great love of God. And now at our core being, we are saints. We are right with God. We are justified before him. I don't care what you have done. This is is who the gospel says you now are. The one who knows you the best has loved you the most, has laid his life down for you. This righteousness that has been revealed, it's now been given to us. It now defines who we are at our core. Right? To to receive Christ is to receive his rightness with God, and this is now the ground we stand on. God has made a way through Christ for our shame to be covered and healed. And it is through humbly receiving the gracious love of God and resting in who we are in Christ that our shame will be healed. But listen, church, we have to do this every day. We need to do this every day to experience and receive the gracious love of God and to rest in who we are in Christ. But another question that needs to be asked this morning is is do you want to move past your shame? There are a lot of things from working in the medical field that I'm very I'm very grateful for. And one thing that you learn is that unfortunately there are some patients who actually do not want to get better. They enjoy being the patient. They enjoy the office visits. They enjoy the testing and whatnot. And sometimes after years, you have to ask someone, do you want to get better? Do you want to move past your shame? You see, because there are some Christians who do not want to move past their shame. There are some people who, who they live ashamed of the gospel by actually loving to look at their past sin and shame for their identity instead of who God says they are in Christ. You see, there are some of us who can't let go of past wounds or ways we've been wronged. Some of us don't even want to move past the struggles we've had. We want to hold on to grudges. Because it is in that suffering and sadness That we think we can establish our own righteousness And here's what I mean We hold on to grudges And what we're doing as we hold on to grudges Is we are holding on to moments Snapshots in history Where we believe we were right Like, Like I'm not going to look at all like the the history of my life or anything like this. But this one moment, I was right and they were wrong. And so I'm going to hold on to this. I don't want to move past it because I know there's a lot of unrighteousness. But in this one moment, I was righteous. And I'm telling you, you who are a Christian, in those moments, you are living as one who is ashamed of the gospel. You're trying to take a snapshot in time, hold on to it, and establish a righteousness of your own. And to move past it would mean to move from this right standing you feel you have. But it's a miserable life. It's a miserable life, trying to establish a righteousness of your own. If only you would see that the gospel has revealed a righteousness that lasts for eternity. You don't have to hold on to that moment. God's given you a right standing for eternity. There's no need to hold on to that little carpet square you feel justified standing on. Christ has given you an eternal red carpet to dance and leap upon if you would only let go of your pride and let go of your performing and let go of your grudges and let go of all these ways you use to cover your shame and take hold of Christ's righteousness by faith and you would trust in that and rely on that and depend upon that to cover and heal your shame each and every day. Church, you see this righteousness Paul says it's revealed from faith for faith. A phrase that means from beginning to end, our right standing with God is by faith. We don't start by faith and then carry on by works. No, we start by faith, we run by faith, and we will finish by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. Paul uses a quote here from Habakkuk 2.4, the righteous shall live by faith which is really the main verse from the book of Habakkuk. In the book of Habakkuk, there's this underlying question of how can God use a wicked nation like Babylon for his divine purposes? Right? There's this question, how can God use a wicked nation for his divine purposes? How can God use wrath and discipline to bring about his good purposes in his righteous timing, in his righteous ways? How are the people of God to live and carry on in the midst of all this? How? Pretty, pretty relevant questions for us, aren't they, church? And what does God say? He says his people, the ones who have received his righteousness, shall live by faith. Not by shame. Not by hiding. Not by appearing impressive. But by faith. Church, what could our... what could this body of believers look like if we lived like we were not ashamed of the gospel? Like what could happen here if we stopped hiding from one another and instead by faith long to know one another and be known by one another? What could happen in our city if the gospel empowered us to stop hiding from our neighbors, but instead by faith be eager to share the gospel and our lives with them? What could happen in our lives if we were unashamed of the gospel and we stopped hiding from God? Paul's later going to write in Romans 10 verse 11, he's going to say for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Church, if you have received him as Savior and Lord, he has given you his rightness. You are now in a right standing with God because you are in Christ. Christ covers all your shame. Jesus is now not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. And if Christ is not ashamed of you, who are we to be ashamed of him and what he has done? Let us not be ashamed of the gospel church. And let us stop hiding and live by faith. Let's pray.